making history here tonight people we are making history here tonight slash today this is the first midweek episode of welcome to the party and uh hey guys how you doing you doing good let's fucking get this shit done hey um this is a smacker episode this the first midweek we got we've got an interview with uh, my good friend and NBL um, player for Melbourne United, Peter Hooley. Uh, what an amazing story that guy has. I'll uh, shoot the shit with him for, uh, for some time. Uh, and then I'll return to close this bitch out in regular fashion like I usually do with, uh, you know how it goes, welcome to the party poor posture of the week um but first uh let me give you a bit of news update okay so since uh since the weekend episode uh we we found out that san francisco well, I think I think Dante actually did talk about this, but um, this 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 is this is really happening. Um, San Francisco is retroactively tossing thousands of pot convictions. So what that means is anyone uh, who's been convicted for um, you know a, a, mar- a mar- marijuana-related conviction in the last in San Francisco in the last uh, like forty or more years. Um, they're, they're going to be, um, getting those convictions out of here and cats is going to be back out on the streets. Um, not that they should have been locked up in the first place for smoking, um, a piece of mother nature, but since California has legalized, you know, recreational possession, and this is what these cats got in prison for, they're letting cats out. So like like the it what's it called expunging it's unsourced here at the um welcome to the party podcast it's all unsourced i believe it's expunging they're going to be expunging like over 3000 cases it's a fucking miracle it's a miracle we're starting off good news today good fucking news for once listen um octavia spencer she uh great black actor she actress, whatever we're calling them these days, whatever's the PC name that we're going to call them. Um, so she was in like, um, oh no. What was she in? What was the one where they worked for NASA? I'm pretty sure she was in that. Maybe she wasn't. The help, was she in the help? I don't fucking know. It's all unsourced here at the Welcome to the Party podcast. Alright? You know what it is. You've been you've been here for 14 episodes, 15 now. So just understand that. So 
Octavia Spencer, anyway, she has said in anticipation of the Black Panther um, movie, the Marvel movie that's coming out, um, she's going to buy out a whole cinema. Not like buy, but like she's going to buy that shit out and let all um, like like a theater, right, in a underserved community. Uh, and she said that she wants to let all our brown children see themselves as a superhero. Uh, that's fucking amazing. This is this is the work people need to be doing. That good shit, instead of being out here, you know, like doing wild shit, like like I don't know, killing kids, like from the weekend episode. Hold on, let's stay on good news, Clay. Colin Kaepernick, we've talked about him, our man. Um, New Age Black Panther. That's hilarious. I was just talking about Black Panthers. What an accidental um, motherfucking uh, segue. But he uh, he pledged that he was going to donate a million dollars of his salary to communities in need, right? Uh, and that was about a year ago, I think. September, September 2016. So a little bit over a year ago or something like that. Anyway... I'm not a big math guy. It's all on source when it comes to numbers, which you man. Um, but uh, last week, he he announced that he had fulfilled his pledge of donating $1 million, which is fucking good news. Okay. So um, uh, let's... Uh, Let's talk about um, what what you're about to listen to is me and Pete Hooley. Um, we're gonna we're gonna kick it. And, uh, talk about his story, how he got to where he is today, some of the obstacles he's had to overcome, and a little bit of insight um, into uh, you know a life in the day of Pete Hooley. So, uh, as promised, here is me and Peter Hooley. <laughs> Yo. Hey, what's up, my guy? What's good, bro? Just chilling, just chilling. Yep. What's uh, what's been going on? Not much, bro. Just grinding. Yeah. NBL life. Yeah, you guys um on top of the ladder, I see. Yeah, we're killing it. Yeah, but nice one. hopefully we can keep it going. We haven't beat New Zealand yet. We're playing twice this weekend. How many times have you played them this year? Two. And you lost both times. Yeah, they smacked us the first season, our first game, and then uh, we just lost. Oh, no, we had a bad one in New Zealand, so interesting. Um, are they second on the ladder? Uh, no, I think it's Adelaide, oh, okay. Perth, and them. Nice one. Oh, well, um, so what, what? You got a day off today or something? No, nah, bro, we had a tough session this morning. I thought we were going to lighten up with two games this weekend, but we went after it. Oh, yeah? And it was one of those ones where you get real tired and you get real cranky and anything pisses you off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was off it, bro. Yeah, I, I know those it. ones. Oh, the worst. What, um... So what... Explain what happened with the BBL. Not well, those, and I'm not talking about the Big Bash League. I'm talking about the British <laughs> Basketball League. Well, 
I thought it was going to be a great year, a great opportunity for me to start my pro career. Um, it all started when, well, I was going to, after college, I was going to sign with Townsville. Mm-hmm. And they folded. Uh, and then um, my agent said, uh, have you got your English passport? I said, yeah. He said, well, I've got a team over there. Um, they've got an Australian player coach. Uh, Reese Carter's going over there too. I think it'll be a great chance for you to start your pro career. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Sounds good. I know Reese real well. Um, so I called him. He's like, look, if it was the I was the player coach. Mm-hmm. And he said, if it's uh, if, if he's promised you that he's going to play you or whatever, that he said it's going to be good, like my family will be there. And Reese said from what he heard that it was going to be a good situation for me. So took it, thought it'd be great. Uh, got there, loved the loved the town. It's a nice beach town south of London. Um, never been to England before. It's a bit of adjustment. Was living in a nice resort, nice sponsor resort, golf course, everything. Uh, and then slowly but surely, just started getting treated really bad. Uh, and kept trying to solve it. Kept trying to do everything to do everything right. Was talking to Reese, talking to the coaches. And the more I kept trying to solve it by doing the right thing, the worse I got treated. Right. Um, and yeah, until I got to the point where I actually Dante Corey Dixon. Dante, and, the uh, welcome to the potty co-host. That is exactly right. Yeah. He, he obviously was my teammate. Uh, we became pretty close. Uh, and your former teammate, Corey Dixon, as well. Yeah. Uh, and Reese got pretty much told me he's like, you have to leave if you if you want to try and save your career. Like this is. This is not on the way they're treating you. and Yeah, well, Dante, uh, I remember getting a text from Dante. And he was like, you got to talk to your boy P. you got to get him out of here. Yeah, and I didn't want to because obviously it looks bad if you leave any contract. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I was tossing it up. But it got to the point where uh, the last day was I'd had enough. We played a team. We blew them out by 30 or whatever. I played like a minute. Um, the next morning we had training or two mornings after, and uh, the five starters plus one other dude were just shooting free throws for an hour and a half while me, two development players, played three-on-three full court against under-18s for about an hour and a half. (laughs) And we're getting yelled at to go harder. And I was like, well, that's it for me. (laughs) Yeah, that's trash, bro. Yeah, it was horrible. I have an eight-page blog that... I started. Well, I just started documenting everything from the jump. Once I started getting treated like crap, I was like, "This isn't on," and I'm worried that if I do something, have to have to leave. If I ever had to post it, I just had it. So I dated everything and just kept it going, and it filled eight pages. Is that is that online? No, that is not online. I didn't have the need to post it. I yeah. didn't want to do that, but yeah. it was. It was and still is ready if ever needed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you went you went from there and you came you came back home to Australia and yeah. um you you ended up playing Siebel for a season? Yeah. So I basically just wanted to come home. My girlfriend was living with me in England. Uh and it's funny, so I told uh I went in to talk to the GM of Plymouth and I said, Look, I'm struggling here getting treated horribly. He had no idea about anything that was going on. I explained it. Um, and he's like, look, yeah, we'll give you a release. I was like, I just want to be home with my family. Uh, and he's like, come in tomorrow, talk to the owners, uh, and we'll see how it goes to get your flights home, whatever. Right. I was like, all right, sweet. So I went home and 
So I lived like 20 minutes out of the city. Was talking to my missus, told dad and stuff I'm about to come home. Uh, got to about 11 a.m. next morning and I hadn't heard from him. So I messaged him and I was like, is it all okay? Am I meeting the owners? He said, yeah, just send him a text. So I texted him and was like, oh, would you like to meet, talk about it? And the response was, uh, yeah, I uh, was sorry to hear you deciding to go. That's your decision. Um, please be checked out of your apartment by 3 p.m. and have the car returned. Uh, thanks. And I was like, oh. So we had four hours to move a life that I'd made for the last six months and book flights home. <laughs> Those cats were grimy out there, bro. Yeah, you that's about, true. Man. You hear about that shit in like, you know, you know, like deep three, like Turkey and shit, like just, yeah. but that shit's, that shit's wild, bro. That's Europe. And that's why I can't like, I've heard some tremendous stories. Obviously I'm playing with David Anderson now. He's one of Australia's most successful basketball player ever. Yeah. And uh, he has some great stories of times in Europe, but there's just so many other stories you hear from guys who, I mean, you went to college, you know guys who've been in Europe and probably had similar stories and the stuff like you just you just don't know what to expect. So hopefully a lot of people can go over there and really enjoy it. And I think I had the chance to if the situation was different, but then, then yeah, you just kind of like left on your own and you just want to get home. Yeah, because I think uh, DJ from Adelaide had some some bullshit about not getting paid and shit when he was overseas. Yeah, that's right. I remember because he was telling me that, and that happens a lot. And luckily, I mean, I had no problems with that uh, at all from my end. Um, uh, even though it might have been a couple of days late here or there, but you hear these stories from guys from places who knows where, and they're literally waiting months for pay, and you can't live like that. I think that happened to Tom Wilson. He was just in Serbia, I think. Yeah, fuck so that. Like that. And you can't do it. I mean. Wait, it's your job. So, how are you going to provide for anything else? Yeah. So you um. So you went. You ended up uh, signing with Ballarat. Yeah. So yeah. I signed with Ballarat. They were um. They were interested in me, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh, I spoke to a couple of teams in Adelaide, but if I wanted to make the jump to the NBL, which was my goal, uh, eventually to be able to be home and play there. I knew it would have to be in Seaball or maybe QBL, so I talked to a couple of teams, but Ballarat seemed like a, a great fit and a great town, and yeah, I went with that. And so then you had a, you had a solid season with them, clearly. So so how how do you get into the league from uh, from playing Seaball for one season? Well, it's hard. So obviously uh, my agent asked me once I was back, he's like, what, what are your plans? And I was like, look, I'm in no in no means want to go anywhere other than Australia. Like I want the NBL, and if I don't get that, I'll think about what if basketball's right for me. And, yep. and I kept getting late. And like, well, there's only eight teams. So there's not many spots. Yeah, because so teams, are, teams are in and out every every year. Either like, yeah. Yeah, like folding or fuck knows what happens. It's a, it's yeah. a crazy league. with te- like The longevity of teams is so um, non-existent. Yeah, and it's and it was a bit like that, and I was like, well, he was like, look, there's not many teams, and I was like, I want, I want to get in there. I was like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get in there. And he's like, right, we'll just keep playing well, we'll keep doing that, and I'll keep doing everything on my end. And there was many times I was, I, even after good games in Ballarat, I was talking to my family, and I was like, I don't think it'll happen. There's just no spots. And he, uh, obviously, I'm too old for a development player, but I was like, no, oh, I, I want this more than anything, so. I just don't want the end of the season to come and me to have any regrets that I could have done anything more or whatever. So then uh, agent hit me up and said that the the Kings wanted me to come 
to a rookie camp. Uh, so they were trying to pick. Uh, they had a couple roster spots, but mainly for development players. And I said, uh, well, I guess I had no other options at that point. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I like, I'll do whatever I can. But it happened to be right after we had a double Seabull trip in Tassie. So you've been on that trip before. It's, yes. it's a pretty brutal trip. It's so we got, yeah. We got home, back to the airport, Melbourne airport. I got home Sunday night at about 1 a.m. And my flight to Sydney left at 6 a.m. So I slept in the airport, went straight to rookie camp and had to try and impress. So it was, it was a pretty stressful couple of days for me, but uh, Andrew Gay said that I had done pretty well and he was pretty impressed with me, but he just wanted to see how, a bit more I could do. So they invited me on a trip uh, to go to China for their like in, invitational team. Oh, yeah. There was some tournament there. I was like, uh, yeah, I'll do it, I guess. I was like, I have no choice. I was going to miss a couple of Seaball games. Um, so I was getting ready to do that, and then I got a phone call from Melbourne uh, saying that Dan Dillon had been injured himself and was out the season, and they wanted to have a look at me. So I was like, oh, awesome. I was like, I'll, I'll be there. And I was actually in uh, Melbourne that weekend uh, with a couple of friends and family, and I got that call, and it kind of like threw all my plans out of whack. I had no gear, nothing. I had to borrow gear from people to go train with them. Uh, and Dean pulled me aside after and said, look, we've been following you, we like you, but um, he knew I was going on the thing with the Kings. He said, I want you to go there uh, in China and try and do the best you can, and hopefully when you come back, you have two offers to choose from. And So I took that and just tried to go and do the best I could in China. Did you get the offer from the Kings as well? Yeah, so I, we ended up having seven players or six in the end for an entire tournament. Oh, wow. Uh China and we never trained together nothing everyone got hurt like three guys got hurt and we managed to go undefeated and win it and, and they're uh, was... notorious scumbags over there they well, fucking it's not cheat. Great. every time I've played <laughs> over there it's been an absolute nightmare so the, I mean the lucky thing is we didn't have to play China oh, okay. so they were in the other side of the pool and we had our pool was a USA select team which is a bunch of older summer league guys and stuff like that um, a Lithuania team, which was good. We played them in the final. Uh, and then a couple of others, I can't remember. But China was on the other side, and we didn't have to play them. But we were talking to a lot of the teams that did, and they weren't happy with how things were handled. Right, yeah. Oh, oh. I, don't, I don't even know where to begin with those motherfuckers. No, no. It's, it's sick. It, it's the worst. It's the worst thing ever. And they come here, and then they'll complain that we cheat here when yeah. we're called pretty fairly here. Yeah. But so you put you put pen to paper with Melbourne, and um, you had the chance to play against the OKC Thunder, but you ro- you did your ankle or something. Yeah, that was brutal. So, so you guys flew over that you still went though. Yeah, so I had a great preseason. Was getting ready. We had a first game. We played in Adelaide actually the night before we flew to OKC. First game of the season. Got a win. Scored my first NBL points. Was pumped. Was on a high. Yep. We get to we fly over to. LA, I oh, flew into Dallas um, and then went up to Oklahoma. The night we got in, we got to go watch OKC and the Pelicans because they were playing preseason on the Friday night. So we were in a box there and that was pretty cool. That was Melo's first home game, Paul George. Uh, we were going to play on the Sunday, so we had a, a session on Saturday morning and I was just running through the key and a bit of a five-on-five drill and stepped on someone's foot and I was it was pretty bad. I was in 
most pain I'd ever been in. They thought I broke my ankle at that point, and I was yeah, I was pretty shattered. Fuck that! But oh, so they thought you broke it? Yeah. So instantly, I've never felt any pain like like that in my life. And I looked down, and my ankle was massive. And the trainer came over, and I was like, I think it's broken. And he looked at it. And he goes, It doesn't look good. Yeah. So I I, I, I crawled over to the sideline, and he goes, Can you stand up? And I was like, yeah, why? And he goes, just try to stand up. I took one step and I was like, I'm about to throw up. Yeah. I've never felt that nauseousness. And he's like, all right, yeah, sit down. And I went off with the OKC doctor, getting an x-ray, and thankfully everything was clear. It was just a matter of getting home on a 16-hour flight. Yeah, with yeah. It was massive. So I was I was going to be okay with it. Luckily, like we flew business class, so it was better. Fuck you. <laughs> but... I was like, what do I do here? I was like, and they're like, oh, you got to make sure that you don't get any blood clots or anything from this flight. Make sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. So I potentially could really screw myself. But he said if I was going to have to have surgery, if it was broken, that they would have had to keep me there potentially up to three weeks in America before I could fly. Shit. And I was like, well, thank God I don't have to do that. Yeah. But um, so... You guys almost beat uh, OKC that night. Yeah, that was a sweet. That was a sweet game. Uh, we probably been unlucky. We, I think we missed like ten or so free throws. Missed some bunnies. Um, but they told us, or someone told us beforehand, that they only wanted to play uh, the big three under thirty minutes each, and they all played over thirty-five. Wow! So it was uh, it was awesome. Casper was a beast. Everyone just fed off him, and yeah, we were pretty unlucky, but. It was pretty cool to shake all their hands, and I had a good talk with Paul George before the game, which was actually pretty sick. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he saw me in uh, in my moon boot and came over and asked what happened. And I was talking to him, and then he was talking about how he got over his injury. Yeah, and kind of made me look like a little bitch. I was yeah, like, oh, it was way worse, bro. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but, uh, but he's a, he, so he's a good guy. Yeah, he was a sweet dude. I didn't have a conversation with Russ or anyone like besides just seeing him after. But yeah, PG was pretty cool, and then. As we were leaving the game, just jumped in his Lambo, I think, and just drove off. Fuck. No worries, bro. Yeah. <laughs> See you, mate. Um, so, obviously, you didn't get to play against those guys, but so in your career, um, college included, but we'll get to we'll get to college in a minute. But who who's the who do you think's the best player you've ever played against? Oh, that's tough. Uh. I'm probably the first one that sticks out in my mind straight away would have to be Seth Curry. Yep. So we played them in the tournament my freshman year. Uh, and we nearly beat them, except he went off for thirty eight or something. Uh maybe oh, wait and see what Buddy Hill can sustain in the league, but Buddy Hill was a beast in college. Oh, you played him? Yeah, so he, he was, was like, yeah, he was sick. He was sick. So they were they were talking up our it was gonna be me and him first round matchup. Battle of the shooters, and I think we went combined two of fifteen or something from three. So it was pretty, <laughs> it's pretty disgraceful. Uh, that would probably have to be it because I don't. When I played for Australia, the World Uni Games, there wasn't any. Uh, we didn't play. We just played Lithuanian guys, so I don't know their names, but they're pretty legit. So did you match up on Curry? Uh for a little bit, yeah. I think that was my role as a freshman was to come in, bring energy, and try to to guard him. Well, so little. was was he? Would he be the hardest guy you've ever had to defend? Uh, well, does training count? Because I'll throw Casper in there if it yeah, counts. Yeah, yeah. 
No, yeah, you can't guard Casper when he when he goes in his Drew League modes. It's the most impossible thing. Like today, today was brutal session. We were all tired, but he just got another level about him. He played in the Drew League, did he? Yeah, he, he loves it. He kills it too. So it's like, I feel like he has this switch where he turns into Drew League Casper and it's just, <laughs> you're on an island with him. Uh, it's it's between him and Randall, Jerome Randall, guarding one-on-one on an island. There's no lonelier place. Oh, I forgot Jerome Randall was out there. Yeah. He's a beast too, one on one. Um, so, what what do you listen to before games to get in the zone? It changed, I think. So I used to I used to be a big guy. I used to listen to uh, a lot of like all American rejects, that the Killers, Mister Brightside, stuff like that, just to get me pumped. I don't even know what any of that is. <laughs> you know, Mister Brightside, if it came on, if we were pissed in a bar, though. Okay. <laughs> You'd sing it. Okay. Um, uh, but I think in Ballarat a little bit, If it depends what it, kind of game it is, I think. If it's a big game and I'm a bit like on edge, I might listen to like country music or something to like calm me down. Yeah. Whereas if it's just like a regular game, like even now, uh, I'm like the road DJ in our van. So I, I'm in charge of the music and I'll just play some Drake or stuff like that, some future. Do you ever get in trouble for what you choose? No, uh, no. If I play any country music in my van, it is Ty drives, uh, Majuk's in the front, Casper, Josh Boone, and Craig is in the back with me. So if I play any country music or anything that they're appalled by, they'll let me know. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll enjoy it. So, um, okay. So what's what's your typical day? So today you is today a typical day? Uh, yeah, so today would be a typical day. We have uh, weights at our office, nice new weight rooms, awesome, uh, 8 a.m. Uh, so everyone gets there about 7.40, 7.45, stretch, have to do whatever. Who goes like, Who goes hardest in the weight room? Probably Dave Anderson. Okay. Uh, Dave Anderson goes pretty hard. Um, and then we have a kitchen there, so we do, everyone will have a bit of breakfast about 9 uh, together on a big table and then there's a big screen so we either watch film or make our way over to training and we'll train from about 10 till 12 so about that's our average morning we do that pretty much every morning and then people have promos scattered clinics here and there in the afternoons but for the most part uh we get afternoons off a lot of the guys have families and stuff to spend with and um guys get their recovery and go down to the beach because it's even like we're towards the end of the season but we're still getting after and training like it's not like we're just going in like in the NBA where you play 82 games or whatever so yeah. every is shooting like, um, what about uh, film how much film do you watch heaps like, we've got our own film coaches so you have to go to your coach watch your individual edits from training and games yeah. uh, whenever you can during the week but uh, we'll pretty much watch film twice after the game a bit of review a bit of offense and defense depending how long the gap is before the next game and then we'll watch uh, probably about three days leading up to the next team. So we'll watch their offensive stuff one day, their defensive stuff, and then their individual clips, and then yep. we're ready to roll. All right. Um, what do you guys uh, have? Like a nutritionist or a dietitian or anything, or is that like up to you? No, we do. So her name's Lisa. Uh, she's in charge of all that. <clears throat> Sends out uh, a bunch of emails with best things to eat. Like if it was a bit of a, a cold season. A couple of weeks ago, everyone was getting sick. Sends out immediately emails of how to stay 
better with your hygiene and all stuff like that. And then we have regular skin folds. I think she comes about once a month or something to do skin folds that everyone's got to try and meet. So it's uh, it's good to have that kind of person around. Obviously, it's pretty easy to... There's that much junk food around and it's that enticing that it's pretty easy to fall into that trap. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you get home from uh, practice or from like a... Okay, okay. What if you have um, this weekend? You play New Zealand twice. Yeah. If you if you lose if you lose the double header, is that going to be the same uh, at the next practice as if you win the double header? Uh, I've got to say, Dino's been pretty good with that. I think uh, I've had plenty of coaches in the past where performances will dictate trainings. Yeah. And I've never been a big fan of that. Um, I think that's not how things go because regardless of how the results going games, um, people's bodies are going to be the same regardless. Yeah. So they're, they're not going to be completely fresh just because we lost two games. So I think he's been good at knowing how our bodies are. But um, we've had times, I think, after the... We played Perth at home a couple of months ago before the first Boomers break. So we had two weeks off after that and Perth absolutely spanked us. And next thing we know, Dean had planned... I bought three boxing sessions that week and wrestling session. And yeah. I was thinking, I was like, oh, surely, you know, the boxing workouts, just on the pads and stuff. Um, but we were sparring and he was trying to get that competitive juice going. And then we did a wrestling workout, which was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. It's the closest to throwing up. And at the end, I thought we were all done. And we all had to line up on a wall and literally just battle the person next to you one by one, like in a line. And you, when you finish that, so you battle someone for about a minute and a half and then uh, someone would go out and you'd have to face two people in a row. Oh, wow. So I had to face Ty Wesley, who ended up slamming me on my head, and I think it was Kyle Adnam. Uh, but so guys are going up. You've got little guys like Casper going up against Booney and Majuk and stuff, but it was full on. Yeah. And I was like, but that was needed. That was different. That was not like uh, we had a game the next coming days. That was a two-week break where he saw an opportunity to really – kick us in the butt and it worked I think yeah. it was pretty good for us but I'm, yeah I think uh, I mean hopefully we get these two wins this weekend but I don't think it'll have much before, uh, impact on that knowing what we have to do come finals yeah so uh, when you've got an afternoon off like uh, today what what do you usually get get into uh, I guess it all depends basically on how the morning goes like today was tough so I normally I like to get down to the beach I live pretty close to the beach uh, down here in Blackrock uh, so I like to go down there and, and lay on there and get in the water through my body. But today was a bit tough, so I got home and laid down and I didn't want to move. Yeah. So it's like uh, my missus had a day off work uh, and I was like, she wanted to go do something and I just apologised. I was like, I can't move right now. I'm pretty keen to just lay here and play some PlayStation. Yeah, what do you play? Uh, well, the boys, we all get on Call of Duty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I played FIFA for ages. We all, A few of us played that. Um, but I fell in, I've never spent money like on the side of a game, you know, you can buy coins and stuff. I've never done that until FIFA this year and I spent way too much on it. And I think I threw the game out. You're, you got an addictive personality, bro. Oh, well, we're not getting into that, but that is, <laughs> I am the hundred percent worst person when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, it's cause I like Craig Moller was that was like, Oh, I just bought like, 20,000 coins or something. I was like, oh, did you? I'm going to do that too. <laughs> and then you bought 40,000. Yeah, and then I kept going. Um, <laughs> but the, 
now I just started playing Fortnite because everyone was talking about it, but it's the hardest game ever and it's frustrating. Yeah, it's too hard. Fuck that. I'm still. I'm... It's the worst, bro. Yeah. I'm like, what do I do here? I got. I've. I think I've got two kills in ten games. Yeah, nah. Fuck that shit. I just play COD. Yeah, but you got an Xbox, don't you? No, nah, I'm PlayStation. Why aren't we friends? I don't know, guy. What are you? I did only get it this year. I don't actually know my name because I just gave it to someone. They said they couldn't find me. Fucking hell. I'll, sort your um, shit out. I'll have to get on there. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at COD, but Fortnite's a joke, bro. Yeah, no, nah, fuck Fortnite. Um, but, okay, so we go if we go to the other end of your career, you grew up in country South Australia. Yep. Handorf. Handorf. Oh, yeah, I grew up in a Chunga, but oh, okay. then moved to Handorf. Was, yep. Was that far, like farming or what? Farm. A Chunga's full farm. Yeah, and then what's Handorf? Handorf's more like, I mean, everyone, Adelaide Hill is like winery region. Everyone goes there for lunch and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just down the street. So what do, uh, what does your dad do? Dad works at customs in uh, the airport. Oh, down okay. Yeah. And what did your mom do? Uh, she works at, worked as a receptionist okay. in my school. So Concordia, actually, I, f- I forget that you're from Adelaide as well, and we grew up together. But yeah, because I've been gone for so long. I know, bro. Um, so did you? So you lived on a farm in Achunga? Yeah, I lived on a big farm. I had cows galore. We had a pig at one stage, chickens. Meat cows um, or dairy cows? Meat cows. No, yeah. couldn't get into the dairy ones. I don't know why Dad didn't want them, but we we're always meat. Dad had a, a livestock transport business. Um, but I was, yeah, as country as they come. So did you help out out there or how old were you back then? Uh, I was, we probably moved out of there when I was like 12, 13, but you had to, well, before you had to get to school, we had to make sure that we got all the eggs out of the chicken sheep shed and all that. So yeah, it was annoying, but I liked it. Yeah. And then, so what, when did you start playing basketball? Uh, pretty young, I reckon about six or seven. Uh, it's weird because my extended family uh, played footy. Yeah. Uh, one of my cousins plays at Collingwood now. My uncles were McGarry medalists in the SANFL. Grandpa was a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, well, you're in the NBL, so you, you've still probably got an AFL career ahead of you. Well, I don't know, man. I can't, it's funny because <laughs> the Crows hit me up uh, when I first got back from my freshman year of college. Like, come just do a tryout. Um, we know you played footy for school. I played footy all my life. And I was like, all right, may as well. You never know what happens. Um, and then it came to doing left foot kicks, and I was horrid. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, there's the door. Yeah. I'll, I'll catch you later, Luke. <laughs> um, <laughs> you never know. I think uh, I probably could go back into it. Um, I miss it a lot of times. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's look, fun. Uh, one, of our, one of our best mates, Maynard, made the switch, and now he's killing it. And, you, I mean, you obviously... Couldn't be happier for him, but it makes you wonder. You're just like, do I still have it in me to, to do it? Yeah. Um. So did so you started playing for Eastern Mavericks out there? Yeah, that's a throwback. Yeah, I grew up yeah playing for Eastern Mavericks. Uh, I think I moved my my twin sister and I moved when I was thirteen down to we wanted to get to a, a big club, so we went down Adelaide while still living way in the country. Um, I refused to ever play for Sturt and so I went to Nord and she refused to ever play for Nord so she went to Sturt right 
Yes, so, I remember. I remember your sister, and I didn't know she was your sister for a long time. No, because yeah, we obviously we weren't at the same place unless we were playing each other. Yeah. Um, and she was actually way better than me growing up. So she was making state teams while I wasn't. And when you're not making SA country growing up, you're probably pretty average. Garbo. Yeah, there's, there's no way to hide that. No, but like I always knew you were good, but I didn't I didn't realise how good you were until... Uh, I don't even think I was there for it. I think I might have already been in college, but you had that dunk on Yon. Uh, in the the what was it called the academy? That was a curtain raiser, the academy curtain. Yeah, raiser. before the thirty uh, sixes played. I I literally was watching that video the other day, and that's the only only body I've ever got. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Yoni. Yeah, he's not he's not a true athlete. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still shocked. I think the funniest thing was Isaiah and Spears' reaction on the bench weren't even celebrating because everyone was just shocked. Yeah, I um. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember being like, "Oh, Pete! I didn't know Pete had uh, bounce." And then from there, like, I just you just sort of like took off. So what? How did you go about getting recruited to uh, U Albany? Uh, it was hard. I think I always told like Dad I wanted to go to college uh, just to see what it was like. I was happy to go D two or whatever. I just wanted to see what college would have been like, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I was D2 at Nord. I was D1 under-14s, but then I got dropped to Division 2 and I was never quite good enough to get to D1, but I just kept kind of, like, playing. It was uh, probably my high school coach uh, really saw something in me and put me in the Opens as a year 10 and kind of just told me that if I wanted to work at this, I could make it. So I kind of just took it from there and I got to under-18s and Tim Berry was my Division 2 coach and his brother Peter was the Division 1 coach and they said... Uh, he told him that he had to put me in Division One. I. I was just doing too well. And I think from there, I kind of got a new edge about me where I realised that I could probably do something with this, but I wasn't sure how college was going to happen. I don't think Australia's pipeline was that big when I went to college. Yeah. Um, I think it was a bit a bit small. I think Delhi was there. Paddy was there. Uh, I'm not sure who else, but I was like, how do we go about this? Um, I'm still a country kid from Adelaide. Don't know what to do. Uh, I think you had committed there at that stage. I would have been there at the same time. I think uh, like me, Delhi, Geordie, Youngie, Cody. Yeah, we all went at the same time. Right, and then I so I I think it might have been before that. Then I had we had hired and like an agency kind of thing. Yeah, like a, a college university recruiter thing, and. Uh, my sister and I and dad said he had to pay five grand each for each of us for them to do it. Oh, okay. And the guy ran away with our money. Fuck. And it wasn't my money. I was working at the IGA, so I was probably making $55 a month Yeah. Um, for stocking shelves. And so I was like, oh, well, there goes that. Um, and then it wasn't until under-20s nationals uh, my top age where I got the chance to kind of just show myself. Uh, it was like my last hope. I think I was, uh, it was in Maitland, New South Wales. And it's funny cause we were flying there and we were all at the airport and I was on a team with Nathan Spear, uh, Lachlan Press was going to college, but the guys like Vic was creaky, Drimmick, uh, Huey with Greenwood was playing Katazzi. And we'd all been told that if we want to go to college next year, we can't play in this. 
tournament. So we were like, well, what do we do? So they flew us over there anyway, not knowing if we were going to play. And apparently the NCAA had passed the rule that we could only play that, but we can't, couldn't play anything else until August. So, right, that so that's why you coached ABL instead of playing it. Right, yeah. So then I, I met lucky enough to have a real good tournament. We got bronze um, and there was an old coach there who used to coach the women in Albany where I ended up going and he put uh, my name out there to the head coach at Albany and I got an email uh, from that and I also got invited to Camp for the emus and stuff like that so I kind of all took off from there Yeah. but I would I had just moved from Nord to South because I wasn't getting in the ABA at Nord they didn't want to play me for whatever reason was happening and I just needed that opportunity to kind of play because I thought that was still going to be you know my chance to get to college yeah um, so I moved to South, managed to recruit DJ and Creaky there because they were my boys at the time because I was training with the Sixers. They were excited for a year of all playing together and then I get told like a week later that I can't play. So I coached. So why couldn't you play but Creaky... Oh, because Creaky didn't go. He went no, he didn't go. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just train. I trained with the Sixers full-time. Well, wasn't allowed to accept a dime for nothing. Did their clinics, promos, all that. Just tried to be a part of the team. I was who was there? Um, Reese Carter was there. Jeff Dowdell, Jacob Holmes, Ballinger, um, Eddie Shannon was there. Import. He had one eye. You remember him? Yes. So that was when Marty was coaching. Marty was there. Mark Bradshaw was the assistant. Yeah. So yeah. that was a. It was good for my development. Um, but in hindsight, I don't know if I'd do it again. Basically, because I couldn't work. I worked like two days a week. Yeah. I was getting money and. It was good for me to be able to play against men, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's probably not good in, in terms of money and how far away I lived. Yeah, it's the uh, they take that for granted. They think that it doesn't put financial pressure on your family and, you know, and yourself. Yeah, it's a, which is, yeah. And, I, I mean, there's a few times where I was calling up. I was like, look, I can't come today. I've got to work. And I, and I genuinely felt bad. I was like, crap, like. Am I throwing any chance I have a way of like playing for Adelaide in my future? I was like, are they thinking I'm not dedicated? When in actual fact, I had to drive an hour and 15 minutes every more every morning to go to train, yeah. and their schedule wasn't like ours now, where everything's done in the morning. Like we had training in the morning and three hour break and come back for weights, yeah. which I I think's a horrible schedule. Oh, it's the worst. So I was like, yeah, I. I felt bad, but I was like, what do I do here? And I'd already committed to it. And I mean, I'm grateful I did it and helped get me ready for college. But I was like, nah, I probably wouldn't do that again. Yeah. I have, when I was at Townsville, we had, um, like a, like a very similar schedule to what, what you've got at Melbourne, which was, uh, which is good because like it allowed me to work on the side and, and, um, you know, just have some, some chill time instead of like in that three hour break, you've got, there's nothing to do. You, 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 what can you do? You can go and eat something. Have lunch. And yeah, that's you gotta, it. You got to go back. Like there's no, uh, personal time allowances. No. Nah, and your body's going to be cooked. So it's like, I'm glad we do weights and stuff in the morning. Cause if you, even if we had training first at eight and weights at 10 or weights at 12, I, my body's not going to do, I'm not going to do the most out of that. Nah. So like, um, I like being warmed up. I'll be ready to go for the day at eight and then I can shut my body off at 12. Yeah. So yeah, it's a grind. So yeah. But, uh, so when you, when you went to college, was your, was your mom already sick at that stage? 
Yeah, it was it was funny. I was at the gym. I was at a gym in Sterling. Um, when I wasn't on my phone and I got back to my phone and I had 25 missed calls from my sister and I was like, you know, something's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So I had, I think I'd already signed, committed um, to Albany and then I got home and mum had said that she had cancer and I was like, okay, cool. I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm here now. The family's like, I, I can't leave right now. Yeah. So she was like, no, you have to go. If it's, if it's not for... If it wasn't going to be for my own self, my own dream, it was going to be for hers, knowing she, she knew how much I wanted it and she was going to support me and she's like, you have to go because it's going to help me on my fight. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow, but um, I kind of just wanted to do everything I could, knowing she was going to come visit still. Uh, at that point, we didn't think uh, the cancer was that bad. Um, so I was kind of, it was in a weird way, I, yeah, I was very optimistic that things were going to be okay. So... What kind of cancer was it? Bowel cancer. Bowel cancer. Colon cancer, they call it in America. Yeah. So um, did um did she get the chance to come and visit? Yeah. So she flew over uh, mm-hmm. freshman year. Um, her, my grandma, uh, her well, her mum is my grandma and dad were on a plane when we were playing at the Carry Dome, um, but they were coming to watch the next game. But Syrac- Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. Playing Syracuse. Uh, oh, there you go. That just made me think Dion Wade is probably the best player right now I've played against. Oh, yeah. He's born. Um, he stepped on my foot, broke my foot, and I couldn't contact them. So they were coming to watch me play. Uh, and I was like sixth, seventh man as a freshman. Um, had a good preseason. We did a tour in Canada, did well. Uh, and I was kind of really pumped for my freshman year. And then had to give them the news as soon as they landed that uh, you're here for no reason and I'm out for the year because I broke my foot. Ah. So I was pretty shattered. I remember getting that message and I was like, I, yeah, this is the worst thing that happened. I was like, this is my dream and now I've got to sit on the sideline and watch. Yeah. Um, and then she kind of like, it was good that she was there in the way that she could tell me that everything she was going through, if she can keep going and keep fighting with a smile on her face and this is nothing for me. So it kind of really put things in perspective. Um, and my assistant coach at the time, Coach Friel, was like, look, you, congratulations, you just got an extra year of eligibility. Uh, and at the time, I was like, pissed off, like, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Now I look back and I'm like, that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. But beside the actual year, because you literally... Oh, at the know, time, it's, it's too hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I put on 30 pounds and Coach was laughing at how heavy I was after the year. And you know, those college trainings aren't quick, bro. Yeah. So you're watching every one of those every day. Yeah. And I'm just like, this sucks. Yeah. There's not really body management for the, for us in college. So um, it was tough. But, yeah, I was grateful that she was able to be over there at the time when I needed her. And she probably realized that she needed me at that time too. Yeah. Um, so how long from from when she got diagnosed, how long was it until she passed away? Yeah, it was four and a half years, I think. So we were under the assumption that um, everything had been clear uh, for a while. She was having some chemo and stuff. Uh, and I was, I'd come home uh, and I think we were, mum had a scan and everything looked clear. No, it was my third year there. So my redshirt sophomore year, um, we had a championship game at Stony Brook. 
and dad had literally i got a message from my sister uh the night before that uh, she called me and was like uh dad's in the emergency room don't freak out i'll call you back and hung up yeah and i was like that's probably not the best way to ever leave a message yeah i was like freaking out and he's like oh dad was on the farm cutting wood and he nearly sliced his whole hand off and sent me a picture and it was the most revolting thing ever um so they were, I think they were, had planned to come over, but mum had a big scan that time as well. And my sister, had, twin sister had shingles. So I think at the time, all three of them were in hospital when we played the game at Stony Brook. Um, managed to win that uh, with some key plays down the stretch. So that was pretty special. Uh, coming home that year, uh, so the summer there, winter here, um, and we got told that the scan was pretty good and she felt all fine, which was well, like the best news ever. It was better than any championship, anything. Yeah. Um, and it was weird. One, so my room in there, in the house I grew up, was ages away from my parents' room, and I was sleeping in one day. Obviously, when you come home from college in the break, you don't do anything. So it's like, yeah, this supposed to work out and stuff, but nah, you're just gonna rest and chill. So I was in bed and I woke up like midday, and Mum was like icing herself on the couch, and I was like, what happened? And she said that. She just tripped, just a normal fall on the carpet in her room, and obviously the chemo and stuff had really like made her bones so brittle and shit like that. So she'd, uh, I think she broke a bit of her pelvis and she couldn't she was in a lot of pain, couldn't walk or anything. So I was like, oh, like this was bad, and it, it really didn't get any better. Was she, I think she had a scan, uh, might have had a little scan on or didn't, and just tried to kind of like deal with it, and yeah. it just wouldn't get better. Um, but I, we just thought it was that. So I had gone back to college. Uh, and then about a month in, dad had called me and was like, uh, we just took mum for a scan on her pelvis and they scanned the lower half of her body and found another tumour. And that kind of confused me. I was like, what do you mean? Like, didn't they already scan her? And I, whether they only scanned like the bowel or whatever, but I was like, why, what do you mean they found one? Like, so that was kind of like, dad and I were shocked with like, what do you mean finding something that you've already supposedly ruled out? Um, and they couldn't treat her. They couldn't give her any chemo or anything like that because of her pelvis. Oh, okay. So I wasn't sure what any of that meant because, like, the whole time in college, it's hard because you're, like, I was so naive to the fact of, like, I might ever get that call from Dad. It was, like, I have to come home. But I was, I was like, nah, it's never going to happen. Like, you're just like, nah, my mum is a warrior, soldier. It's never going to happen. Yeah. And we were actually at a casino... Um, I didn't have my phone on me because I was with a couple of boys. And on the way home, phone was in the car and I checked it. And Dad's like, I need to call you as soon as I can. I was like, I'll be home in an hour. And didn't even click on me then. Um, and he got me on Skype and I saw his face and I was like, don't tell me. And he's like, no, it's, it's, it's not looking good. And I started to shake a little bit. And he said, look, I'll never, ever tell you um, it's time to come home, but... I think it'd be in your best interest to make that decision. Yeah. <clears throat> I started crying. I hung up. I didn't even respond. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I just like broke down. Um, called him back and I was like, look, I'm, I'm coming home. As soon as I can, I'll call coach after this. Hung up from him, called my coach. It was, I think it was 12 o'clock at night. We had a game on the Sunday at Stony Brook, which was the biggest game of the year. And coach said, I'm, I'm on my way over. Came over at like 2 a.m., my teammates, one of my roommates, Sam Rowley, was with me um, and his brother, Mike. And coach said, 
let's get these flights done. We booked flights to get home the next day. Um, and Mike Rowley and Sam were both like, I want to fly with him to LA because they didn't want me to fly alone from New York home. Yeah. Um, and Mike ended up coming. And it was just, it was a weird, it was a weird flight. Like, I was so thankful he did that. He literally flew to LA six hours, flew straight back on a red eye and played a game the next day. Wow. Um, just to make sure that I got on the plane home. Uh, so for those six hours, I, my thoughts weren't my own, which is what I needed. Yeah. Um, and then I got on the big plane and it kind of like, I didn't know what I was getting home to. Yeah. Um, so I got home and went and saw mum in hospital uh, and she was great. She was, the first thing she said was, you know, you got a game tomorrow. <laughs> uh, which kind of made me smile and we had a, a really good week of being able to catch up talk about everything uh, not we're still kind of holding on to the fact that something like a miracle could happen yeah uh, and then dad pulled me and Emma aside at a pub one night just around the corner from the hospital and he's like look oh, doctors have come to me and there's nothing left to do nothing they can do and we kind of just have to wait and it was kind of like, that's the angriest I've ever been. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not waiting. Like, it's got to be something we can do. Um, and when I could finally come to that realisation, we just ended up staying every night in the hospital, waiting for that inevitability to happen. So trying to hold on to those good memories we had the week before, but knowing what was coming was, was pretty frightening. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously it, it ended up happening on January 31st. So three year anniversary was last just week. Last week. Yeah, so that's like, that's probably the toughest day to deal with anything. Um, I'm I don't I don't go talking about it to, to people unless they come to me. I've had plenty of people since it happened come to me asking for how I can do it or whatnot, and there's there's nothing I can say that's going to help. So it's like I'm pretty average at trying to console people through it. Um, but those that's the day where you just everything comes flooding back. Yeah, and um, it's very. Yeah, okay. Close to your birthday. Was your birthday yesterday? Yeah, so that was... Uh, so so after, after mum passed, um, dad came to me and Emma was like, look, um, I don't know how to say this, but we have to plan the funeral and the two days we can possibly do it is either the day before or the day after your birthday. Yeah. And I was just like, this is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know what to do in that situation and we said we want to do it before so we can try and like Grieve for her, but then still being able to celebrate her life and then celebrate ours. Yeah. Um, that birthday was crap for us both, which would always would be um, after the funeral. And uh, I had to, he, dad asked us both to speak at the funeral. Um, and I've, obviously you've read some of my writings. I think I've, I love writing, especially when it comes to stuff that I can't talk about. And I, I could not write anything until 3 a.m. the night or the morning of the funeral. Yeah. I just like I'm just going to put some things down and try and wing it, um, and I yeah it was kind of tough. It's the hardest I've ever been able to put something down on paper that was going to be something that I'll essentially never forget. Yeah. So yeah, and then yeah, birthday was the other day for me yesterday, uh, and it's it's it is tough. I remember my girlfriend was like, "Why are you not excited for your birthday?" and I didn't tell her, obviously, nothing like that, but I, I wrote a blog. I called it a, a letter to my mum. She'll never read, and I normally post them all, um, but this was one that I, I didn't feel compelled to post. I still put it up online, but I didn't want to share it because 
I don't know, it's probably one of the deeper ones, the kind of the hardest things to, to get out uh, to people. And I know it will help people in times. There's plenty of people who go through it. But it's like uh, that was the, the days where, yeah, you kind of, you need them though. I think I think it's as hard as it is, you do need them just because it kind of connects you still. Yeah. In a weird way. So, so um, you had the funeral and your birthday. So when, how long until you went back to school? Uh, I think it was two weeks after that or a week and a half or something. So dad had told me, I wasn't ready. I was like, I'm, my coach had made it pretty clear. So look, um, I know you're a massive part of the team. I was leading the team, scoring whatever I was captain, but he's like, I want you to stay home with your family. That comes first. And he'd become through it all through the three, five years I was there, but three years before that, he was like my, like my dad in America with how much he'd care for me. Like you get texting him at random times. He's like, come talk to me if you need. And like, it was kind of a relationship that not many people have with a head coach. So I was like forever grateful for his family for like taking me in and, and my whole family in. But um, I dated, I'd come to the decision that I promised mum that I'd finish what I started, not just with Albany, but, but I was going to go to grad school there and I had plans. So I wanted to get in the NBL, all this. So I kind of was like, we got to do it. And I told dad, I was like, we got to do it. So they, dad and M flew back with me a week and a half later. And uh, we're planning to stay two weeks to see if, uh, make sure I got back into the flow of things. But then they left after four days just because they saw how much like Albany embraced me and how comfortable I was back there. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty special, but uh, it was weird. I'd been out a month. I think our team had gone eight no in the times that I'd missed. Oh wow! Um, and we were putting together a pretty good year, uh, and I thought I was back. Like when I came back, I was like feeling good. My body's feeling good. Um, but the first couple of games, I was nothing sort of shit. Yeah, good, <laughs> so good I was like, my body from there, and yeah, it's like how am I still playing right now, knowing what just happened? But you kind of just kind of stuck through it, knowing I was like this is what I promised her and this is what I got to do and I uh, had my family support so I kind of just yeah kept going and then you guys made the conference tournament yeah so we I probably had my best game since being back the day before the semi-final so the week before um, played UNH at home um, and then I kind of realised I was like I was feeling good knowing that going into this game um, and then we played yeah and that game's at 10.30 in the morning because it's on ESPN 2. Yeah. Um, small conference, small time slot. So, yeah, and I you barely sleep the night before, even though it was my third championship game in a row. You're like, no, I was like, this one was definitely going to be the toughest. Not only were we playing a phenomenal team, it was like, I wanted to win this one. Like, I wanted more than anything to win this game. Yeah. And I remember sitting, sitting on the end of my bed at about 5 a.m. and I had found a note that mum had snuck into one of my bags um, a couple of weeks before that, but before I left, so the August before that, and on the back, it, it actually was just talking about all the things that I could I could do and that I believe in myself and she believes in me, and then she traced her hand and was like, if you ever need a hand to hold, I'm always here. And I kind of just like put my hand over it and just closed my eyes for about five minutes. And it was weird, it was like, some like supernatural kind of stuff where I was like afterwards I was like holy crap I feel ready yeah and I was like so, how do I and I was still it was 5.30 in the morning I was like 
I'm so ready to go, but I don't play for five hours. Yeah. Uh, we had to go get breakfast and stuff, but it ended up being 39 minutes of the worst basketball anyone will watch. But I think I, the score was what? The score was uh, 48-50. We were down two. Uh, 48-49. Um, and they were on the free throw line. Um, and, dude, we were down seven with a minute and a half to go. Uh, one of their dudes missed the back end of a one-on-one. And we got the rebound, no timeouts. Uh, I dribbled it up and we ran it. It was a play designed for me to get a, a handoff and then get it back for a down screen for a shot yep. or attack the rim. And I, in my head, I was thinking, I don't want to shoot this because I'm playing like crap. I was 2 or 13 or something. I was like, I don't want to shoot this. I don't want to have the, it ride on me. We're playing at our home ground. It's sold out. It's 5,500 people screaming. So and you were not the black mamba in this moment? No, mentally, no. My, ment- my mental was gone. I was like, I'm not losing this on my hand. And I was look. We looked over during the free throws, and uh, the entire Stony Brook bench, all the fans had come down from the stand and were behind their bench, ready to storm the court. Um, so when we were, and then we threw the play, and I handed it off, and the guy t- out, Ray Sanders, turned the corner and went for a layup, and missed badly. And I had already started running back to half court. I was like, oh well, we lost. And the ball tipped straight towards me, and my player had gone in for the rebound, and I just grabbed it. And I didn't even think twice. It was one point something seconds left, and I just threw it up there on top of the key. And it was—it looked so far right when it left my hands. I was like, "Oh crap!" And it just like reverse swung in, nothing but net, right. and everything erupted. And it was weird. Everything erupted for a second. I was like, "That's the loudest thing I've ever heard." And then it was complete silence. Yeah, like it was still loud, but I couldn't hear anything because I'd realized what just happened. Yeah. They had no timeouts. They had to inbound it quickly. They turned it over and we'd won. So it was like they couldn't review it. There was no timeouts. It was perfect and they couldn't get a shot off. So it was like everything that had to happen was literally the perfect. Yeah. So I got swamped by 5,000 people and couldn't breathe. Um, Fucking hell, bro. Bro, I took probably – so that carried on for about 30 minutes. I had to do a course. I had an interview with ESPN and all that. And then by the time – it was time to cut down the net. I was like fourth or fifth or something, um, cut down the net, looked up, and that's when it hit me. And I, there was so many people around. Our team was around. They were all like patting you on the head when I came down from the ladder. And I like walked right past them all, went right down to the back of the stadium, just sat on a chair and just bawled my eyes out. I, I just lost it. Yeah. And I think one of my teammates saw me, or one of the girls' teammates was there first, but then my teammates slowly started to come over one by one. And I felt bad afterwards because the attention to kind of turn on me where everybody was looking after me, whereas coaches were cutting down the nets. Yeah. Nobody was caring. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, but I was in a, in a mental state that I'd never been in before. Um, yeah, I just didn't know how to handle it all. It was like, um, it was like I was supposed to be in that point of time at that time. Like, that was all supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, then everything kind of just escalated in my life from there. <laughs> You're fucking famous, bro. I was I was in college at that time, and I remember ESPN just had Peter Hooley on there in the the shot, and your mum guiding the ball in, and all of this. And I was like, "What bro. the fuck, <laughs> bro?" I was. It was. It's not. It wasn't supposed to happen for me. I was a small country kid. I was like, "Why? Like, what?" I never. I never thought I'd play D one college. I never thought I'd go to the tournament if I made D one college. I never thought that I'd hit a shot 
you always hit like you're thinking about hitting game winners, but like a championship winner, dude, like yeah. Um, and it wasn't even like it was a nice shot; it was ugly as shit. And then, <laughs> and then yeah, then then we had selection Sunday, um, which was awesome. And I was on the road to the final four the next day. We were talking to Charles Barkley, and then um, I was in our media girls' room, uh, and Coach Brown comes in, and he's like a. Uh, you busy? And I, was like, I just finished a radio interview with. I think it was actually. I think it was Andrew Gaze. It was with a couple of the guys back here. Okay. Because um, it had touched everywhere. Like I was getting messages from everywhere. Yeah. From everybody. Um, and then uh, he was like, right, "You got to get in a car and go down to Bristol, Connecticut. They want you in the studio on ESPN tonight and tomorrow morning." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah, you got to go. Like, we'll be ready to go with the." Um, with the private plane for to the tournament when you get back. I'm like, wait, what? You like, got in a PJ? Yeah, and that was the only time we had it, bro. We what went to the tournament fuck? in a row before that. It was sick. Jesus. Um, and I was like this. So I was like the ESPN, and I thought I was going to be pretty rattled going on there, but it was like, uh, it was kind of cool. I was meeting everybody in the green room. Um, Jay Williams was there. He was talking to me. Uh, you meet everybody from around there and then you get to be in like on a sports center thing. Not only are you a top player, but you're like sitting there watching yourself be a top player whilst on studio. You're, like, <laughs> That's fucking surreal. Bro. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, this is, this is pretty awesome. But it was more so, there was so many times after that where people were coming up to me that I'd never met or messaging me in similar situations that saying that like my story was helping them, which is kind of like, it was the, it was the hardest but most soothing conversation you've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, so your your girlfriend, she's from, uh, she went to school with you? Yeah, so she ran track uh, at Albany. Um, and uh, yeah, I, Obviously, I went back for grad school the year after that. And everyone was saying I was an idiot for it. Everyone like, you should have left. Like, your shock was so high. You probably could have done some, like, workouts with teams and stuff. But I still wanted to go to grad school. Yep. Um, and I, so I had another year to play. And I was like, maybe I can win four. No one's ever won four in our conference or whatever. And I was like, I was already, me and Sam Rowley were already the most decorated Albany players ever. Three yep. rings. I was like, oh, this, we've got a pretty special team. Bringing the same team back. Let's do this. Um, so I went back for a fifth year and grad school kicked my ass, but I managed to do really well at it, get my degree in a year or, and then I did a thesis after that, but the class is done in a year. Um, we should have won the whole thing again, but we screwed up badly in the quarterfinals. Um, and that was kind of it. That was how college ended. And, uh, so she came on the scene about quarter of the way through my grad school year. I had met her. And that was a weird, it was a weird meeting. Um, so she was like, uh, she was a track runner. Um, I always, she always acts like I didn't know who she was, but I, I, everyone knew who she was. She was gorgeous on the track team. And she was, meanwhile, she's supposedly thinking over here, like that I was too big time and I'm an asshole. Yeah. And, and I'm not really, like, I, I have my moments, but for the most part, I'm, <laughs> I'm all right. Um, so I, can't remember. Oh, I do. So this is the strange story of how it all happened. Met we. I was in New York City for Christmas. Um, on in 2015, I was on a rooftop bar in the winter, 
yep. with a couple of my mates and I saw that she had tweeted, I lost my phone number. Does anyone uh, please message, DM me your number if you need to? And I've had a few drinks, so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to just do it. Yeah. I did it and she wrote back, ha ha, thanks Pete, Merry Christmas. And I was like... And then the next morning, I looked at it, I was like, what an idiot. Yeah, yeah, you thirsty <laughs> motherfucker. Bro. I was like, why did I do that, bro? That was so stupid. Um, and I showed my, one of my mates, obviously, uh, one guy, my best mate, didn't go to college with Albany. Mike Rowley was there, and he was just like, you're an idiot. Um, and then it ended up being that one of our teammates had a party in our rooms. He didn't live with me, but his, his girlfriend was on the track team as well. And she's like, oh, we're throwing a party for you, Rich, at your place um, tonight. I was like, no, no, you're not. I was like, we're going to Vermont tomorrow. It's a huge game. I was like, not doing that. And she's like, no, we are. Um, a few of my track friends are coming. I was like, oh, is Damo coming? And she's like, yeah, he'll be there. And I was like, all right, sweet. That, it can happen then. And I remember, man, bro, because we're going to Vermont, so I wasn't drinking or anything. And she, she'd had a few, and every guy on my team was there trying to dance with her and stuff. And I was like, oh, well. We had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then she ended up coming over to talk to me at one stage and I was playing with a deck of cards like a loser, bro. Like, I was just like shuffling shit in a corner. And she was here and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I was like, oh, you want to see a magic trick? Oh, no. <laughs> so I did a magic trick with her and um, by all I know is at the end of the night, her and her roommate, because she lived downtown off campus, were like hanging around. I was like, oh, you guys not leaving? I was like, we're all about to go to bed. We've got to leave at like 8 a.m. She's like, oh, we can't get home. And I was like, oh, all right, well, you two stay in my bed and I'll sleep on the floor in the living room. So we had a four-bedroom apartment and so they stayed in my bed and I slept on the floor. And I literally, that's the first sleepless night I've ever had in my life. Like, I don't know why, I just it wasn't comfortable on the floor, obviously. And then I ended up going into my other roommate's room. I was like, dude, I'm laying on the end of your bed for the last 30 minutes. This isn't gay. And I just crawled up there and then, from there, she had mess. We went on the bus to Vermont, and she was messaging me back and forth, and it kind of just happened from there. Right. Um, I was literally talking to my girlfriend like yesterday, I think it was, and I was telling her that chicks love magic tricks, and she actually said to me like, "Yeah, I would have been so impressed if you did a magic trick for me." Bro, the magic trick I did is epic too, though. It's actually <laughs> legit. So it was like. It's the only one I know as well, and it helps that she'd been drinking because it was like, it's any when you're drinking, nothing's stupid. So it's like it was probably like pretty mind blowing at the stage for her. Yeah, what's Whereas not? Whereas if I if I did it to her sober, she's probably like, "Are you really trying to pick me up with a magic trick right now?" Yeah. So it was like, yeah, and it worked. So Everything's like, coming out Millhouse, isn't it? Yeah, bro. <laughs> now she's here. Now she's in Australia living with me. But so you're you've got a twin sister. Yeah. And this girl is a twin. She's an identical twin. Her identical. sister ran track at Rhode Island. Right. I don't, I don't know what that means, bro. That, well, it means that you're going to have identical uh, quadruplets. Oh, touch wood, bro. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, no, that's pretty, uh, pretty crazy to think. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, um, we'll talk about my twin. I was like, oh, she's a twin as well. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got I've got a question for you before uh, before we end this. I was talking about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, oh, probably about a month ago. Um, have you ever been to Chin Chin? 
what is this? Where's this going? The the restaurant in Melbourne because you live in Melbourne. No, but uh, tell me about it. I, we go out to eat all the time. Bro, it's the best meal I've ever had in my fucking life. Where is it? Ah, oh, fuck. I, to, I probably can just look it up. You could look it up. That. You could because I don't. Our podcast is infamous for not fact checking. I fact checked one thing. Uh, last episode was to see how many rings Tom Brady has. Oh, your facts on uh, even though I, we've moved away and like haven't kept up as much, you've definitely you've kept up on. They were pretty accurate facts from me. Oh well, you you know we've we've shared a few green teas over the years. Oh, just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just but bro, couple. bro, chin chin. It's like it's like it's in the city. Um, so it's better than Pasta Gogo. Bro, if you put Pasta Gogo and Chin Chin in the same <laughs> sentence again, that's it. That's no more. We're not having another green tea. That's what about it. A, can we have a walk home from Reds? Oh, fucking hell. Bro. <laughs> let's not. Let's fucking not. No, we won't. Um, all right, I'm going to look it up. Look it up. Chin Chin is the best meal I've ever had. Um, I don't, I've, I don't really have much to compare it to. Like, it's something else. But... It's a. It's hard to get in there, so I don't think they take reservations. Oh, I see. Okay, now that's that's an issue because there's a place on Trapple Street called Mister Miyagi, which is supposed to be like epic. Yeah. And they were all like my teammates talk about. It. So I called up there like three weeks ago. I was like, oh, "Can I get a reservation for two? And they're like, "Oh, we don't do reservations. Be here at six. You you get a table." And I was like, "All right, sweet." Got there at five forty-five. Lady's like, "Oh yeah, what's your name? It's just an hour and forty-five wait." I was like, all right, well, I'm going to leave. I'll get McDonald's on the corner. Yeah, so that's what happens at Chin Chin's, except we got there pretty early. The line was like probably eight people deep, but like it goes around the corner if you get there later. But we got there early. Should I I fact check this now? You should fact check it. But what we did, we got there and the line was eight people deep and then they just take your name. And so we put our name down and we we just went to a pub down the street and we had like... I think we only had one drink there and then we got the text message like, um, your table's ready. Chin Chin and Go Go Bar, is that it? I don't fucking know. What's the street called? Uh, Flinders Lane. Yeah, I think that was it. That's it. Oh, it's a 4.3 star, bro. bro. And it's got 1,500 rating. Bro, it is fire, I'm telling you. Uh, reviews. I'm going to have to go there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I I need to leave a review on there. I'll give them the best review they've ever had. I'm, I'm definitely going to try and go there. Yeah, bro. What is... Is that, that the only question you had was Chin Chin? That's it. That was the most important <laughs> thing I think I had on my list here. Um, uh, I'll be there and I'll let you know how it is. Yeah. I'll call in for the next potty to update on that. Make sure you do. Easy, brother. Good to talk to you, bro. You too, man. We've got to uh, we've got to catch up soon. How long's left in the season? Uh, we have two games this weekend, two games next weekend, two week break, and then potentially a month of finals. Okay. Well, I'll see you in a couple months, and we'll go to Chin Chin. Yeah, bro. I'll, I'll, I was about to say I'll get a reservation, but I won't. No, bro. But uh, um, thanks for being on. Uh, welcome to the party. No worries, bro. Good to hear from you. Yeah, Talk you too. To you. And we'll uh, we'll catch up soon. I'll send you I'll send you this for a for a quick listen. Alright, bro. Alright. See you, dog. What an A1 guy. 
that was so much fun. We had our ups and downs there, but um, man, what a he's strong and yeah, no Bruno. I wanna I wanna catch up with that cat. I uh, miss that guy. He's only an eight-hour driveway though, and I'm gonna catch up with that motherfucker. Chin chins, chin to chin, best meal ever. Don't forget it. Um, but what we're gonna do now is um. <laughs> Did I forget to talk about the fucking Super Bowl? I had Tom Brady winning that shit, 28-25, and he lost. I don't know what the score was. It's all unsourced here at the Welcome to the Party po- podcast, but um, uh, no good, no good by Tom, Tom Brady. Uh, as you might have seen on the social media, the kiss of death uh, post, on the welcome to the party Instagram, that's uh, that's what we think it might have been. So um, maybe he's not. Maybe that kid's not the uh, founder youth. Maybe that was the kiss of death. But um, shout out to the Philadelphia Eagles, their first uh, championship in franchise history. Um, what's the dude's name? Nick Foles. Uh, good quarterback and then yet yeah, there was two cats that played for the Patriots last year um, their names are all on source here at the uh, Welcome to the Party podcast but back to back Super Bowl wins fucking hell how about that but um, there's already talks of some of these cats not going to the White House because because we are tired of our people being held down Um uh, systematic racism is not um, is not a made up phrase. It's not uh, it's not hyperbole. It's a fucking thing that's out there, and people and um, influencers are standing their ground, which I uh, I respect that a, a lot. And uh, if 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 I could if I could do anything, if I can do anything, I will do something to somehow help i'll spread the word through my platform here the welcome to the party podcast and um that's why you got to hit that share button if you care then you share you heard it here first all right but um let's uh let's let's move on from the super bowl congratulations to everybody oh justin timberlake damn killed it what a machine Man, Matt Cat married Jessica Biel. Damn. Uh, there's a lot to be said for Justin Timberlake and his successors. God damn it. Jessica Biel, the sinner? Seventh heaven to the sinner. All right, Jessica. All right, JT. Um, well, great halftime performance there. And um, uh, uh, the, the New York Giants... Um, uh, halftime commercial. Oh my goodness! I thought it was mad funny that everyone was saying that the Giants um beat Brady in another Super Bowl because they had that dope ass commercial. They said they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's mad funny. Anyway, um, let's uh let's move forward to the uh, poor posture of the week. Poor posture. It has been said that um, 
I don't know how many of these motherfuckers because it's all unsourced here, but Baltimore cops carried toy guns in their cars, right? To plant on people in case um, in case they they happen to shoot an, un- an unarmed suspect so they could say that they were holding a weapon or they thought they were holding a weapon. Are you kidding me? That's a disgrace and that's what's wrong with the world and that's what I'm talking about. That's what Kaepernick's talking about. That's what the Philadelphia Eagles are talking about. That's why Steph Curry and them didn't go to the White House. This is... This is not okay. This is disgusting. And it's hard to, uh, it's hard to digest because these cats never get uh, put away. These no good judges letting these cats go. You know what I've got to say about them. Lock them up. These cats are sick. Uh, the whole... I'm sorry to throw a blanket over the whole organization, but the whole Baltimore cops, you all got poor posture of the week because of these cats. Fuck that. (sighs) There was a teacher in Colorado who got, um, she got accused of assaulting a student who wouldn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, calm the fuck down. You're, first of all, she's a physical education sister, <coughs> sister, teacher. She's a physical education teacher. Um, so you mean you tell these cats to kick balls around? Is that what you're trying to tell me? So first of all, you're not a teacher. Sorry to all the PE teachers out there, but Karen Smith from some Colorado school, you're not a teacher. You're not teaching. Man, so she, I guess, um, she's known as a strict teacher, okay? But she smacked, well, I don't know what, (laughs) you know, it's always on source here, but I'm going to say, she smacked the shit out of this kid, man. Smacked the shit out of this kid. Now, they're saying that the story got blown out of proportion. But guess what? This teacher, uh, Karen Smith, is on leave right now. And she's old as fuck. So she she still believes in corporal punishment. Man, you got you should see her. You will. If you, um, if you, uh, if you follow us on social media, you will see Karen Smith. Mm-mm-mm. Silly motherfucker. Okay. And the last poor posture of the week or of the, um, you know, poor posture of the three, four days. It's a, it's a trend now that two women, see, there was two sisters last week in last four days. And now there's two women again. Listen to the headline here. Okay. Can you just listen to this headline and, and try not to fucking try not to lose it. Two women accused of burning a five-year-old girl in voodoo ritual. Voodoo ritual. The only motherfuckers that should be doing voodoo is the New England Patriots. Shout out to my rap. 
two women accused of burning five-year-old girl in voodoo ritual. One more time in a BBC News voice. Two women accused of burning a five-year-old girl in voodoo ritual. And guess what? These two are sisters again. My God, she's been permanent. This little girl, five-year-old girl, she's been permanently disfigured in a voodoo ritual and was meant, meant to listen to this shit. This is why... Lock them up! It was supposed to stop her... It was supposed to rid her of a demon causing her to misbehave. And they threatened to cut off the head of the girl's eight-year-old brother. With a machete. What the fuck? They get, they always get, they, they've tied these kids down on uh, numerous occasions. Let me tell you their names in case you run into these cats. Peggy Labossier and Rachel Hilaire or Hilaire. I don't know. They're black, of course. Ruining our good name. Just after I sit here preaching. God damn it, Peggy and Rach. Oh my God. That's it. That's it. I cannot continue. Um, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Peter Hooley. What an absolute legend. Um, they're playing New Zealand. Uh, they've got a doubleheader against New Zealand this week. Uh, they're at the top of the ladder. If you live in Melbourne, get out there, support them. If you don't, um, then don't. But... Uh, make sure you have a look at uh, Peter Hooley. Look him up. Uh, look up his highlights and shit on YouTube. The man, the man um, has been through some shit, and um, I'm glad to say that I I have been by his side for through a lot of that shit. That's my that's my man's, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. And I I want to I just want to thank what a good man. I want to thank him for being on the on the uh, the podcast. Welcome to the party. Uh, you can find us at It's Time to Potty on Twitter or Welcome to the Potty on Instagram. Email us at uh, Welcome to the Potty at gmail.com if you've got recommendations for listening to this fuck shit or uh, poor posture of the week. And I'm out. <laughs>